Welcome to the new episode of Quarter Quest, Comics on the Cheap. Can I ask you a question before we begin? Have you ever wanted to have your own podcast? If so, we'd like to recommend Podbean. We've been using it for the last three years, and we love it. It's easy to use, and the customer support is amazing. Just go to podbean.com and enter the code HAUNTEDLOG at checkout and get your first month of podcasting for free. That's podbean.com, Haunted Log. Now, on to the show. Welcome to the first episode of Hunting Timothy, a Books of Magic podcast. Uh, this is Ryan. And Nick. And what we are going to be doing is an in-depth look at the Books of Magic, Volume 2. And this is going to be more of an introduction to that Volume 2. So we're going to talk about the creators, and then we're going to talk a little bit about the miniseries that started the whole thing and leads into Volume 2. We were planning on just starting with Volume 2, but after reading the miniseries again, we kind of determined it was needed to kind of go back and talk about a few points in that that lead in to Volume 2, so it makes a little bit more sense for everybody. Um, So with that, why don't we go ahead and get started? Nick, who's going to cover Neil Gammon, uh, the original writer and creator. Uh, Do you want to go ahead and get rolling with that? Uh, Yeah, Um, let's see, because... I know if I get this wrong, I'm going to get a lot of hate for it. So I'm going to, there's so much. So let's just start off with the basics, right? So Neil Gaiman, born in Hampshire, United Kingdom, um, November 10th, 1960. Um, He now lives in a city outside of Minneapolis. So he, when I was there, he was always around a shop called Dreamhaven. Dreamhaven was in Uptown. Some days he would have a signing that would have people around the block. They were always a big proponent of his work. They were always selling his books, um, his comics, um, promoting him. Um, because, you know, Minneapolis is a huge place that loves art. Like mm-hmm. Minneapolis has a huge art scene. They have a huge comic book scene. They have a college that does comic book art. Like... Uh, which is funny because we're talking about Minnesota School of Comic or uh, Art and Design. It's called MCAD. And Peter Gross, who later on did the artwork for Books of Magic, was a professor there. And he was teaching comic book art. And that's how I, I met him at a con because through a friend of mine who was taking his classes. So that was pretty cool, right? So um, let's just go back to Neil, right? So... <laughs> So, um, <laughs> he was highly influenced by Lord of the Rings, C.S. Lewis, Lewis Carroll, writers of that caliber, right? So, fantasy writers. Sure. His first book he ever wrote was an autobiography of the first four years of the band Duran Duran, which is crazy, right? But you got to get your foot in the door somewhere. And,. Loving Duran Duran, I kind of want to read it now. He was getting on a train and 
he bought an issue of Alan Moore's Swamp Thing. He, it says that he read it very carefully. Like, he, it was like a profound, like, kick in the pants to him that this author could take crazy unknown character and give it depth and give it a whole new life that it made him start going to comic shops and getting into and learning about the comic books, like the heroes and the villains and like the, the, the history of them. He became good friends with Alan Moore, right? And once Alan Moore left Miracle Man, Neil Gaiman took over and that series never finished up because uh, Eclipse Comics went out of business. So there's this final arc of Miracle Man that's never come out. And they, he's been talking about how he wants to get it done. And at the time that he, he had it all scripted out, but there was no place to put it because there was a huge lawsuit. Like, who owns Miracle Man? Does Alan Moore own it? Does Todd McFarlane, who bought some of the rights after Eclipse went away, does Neil own it? You know, like, who, who owns this? Like, where is it? And finally, Marvel bought it. Marvel bought the rights to Miracle Man and Marvel Man. So who knows where the rights are for Miracle Man, right? Who knows? I mean, Marvel apparently has them because they produced all the issues of Alan Moore, mm -hmm. which they took his name out because Alan Moore is a huge. But uh, yeah. <laughs> and just put in there the original author. Right. They took that out. But they also published the, the Neil Gaiman stuff. So hopefully we get the continuation of that. Um, he left there and then went to D.C. where he created with Dave McKeon. He created Black Orchid, which was their first work at D.C. And then he created probably his seminal work in the 90s. He created the Sandman. D.C. was like, hey. Um, take, take a character that we haven't used in a long time, do what you want with him, create whatever you want, do, you know, just do what you want. And he created from the Sandman from the 1930s, 1960s and created Morpheus. And he brought in all of the different entities of the dreaming. He brought, uh, death and there's, there's too many to even talk about. I mean, yeah. there's so many characters and in Sandman that he created for that book. And death is almost as popular as Morpheus, which in the nineties, you know, she was a huge thing. She appeared in, <laughs> this is funny. So there's an issue of Captain Adam where he dies and he is visited by her. And after that book was published, Neil said, no, 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 no. You are never using one of my characters in one of your continuity books ever again, because you just screwed her up. Like her, like you just messed her completely up for that book of cats and Adam, that he was like, no, no, you're no more. Unless you have my specific right, like reasons. And this is how much pull Neil had at DC. He was like, no, you cannot use my characters for anything else other than a straight up vertigo book. He also with death created the vertigo line, which now when you look at what has become of the Vertigo line, it just says the Sandman, blah, blah, blah on the top, right? With uh, the Dreaming and 
Book Sandman of Magic. Presents, yeah. Sandman Presents, right. And so that's pretty much what Vertigo has become, is just a Neil Gaiman type of book series, like, line. Um, let's see, what else did he do? He did... Uh, he wrote for Swamp Thing for a while. He did a couple issues of Secret Origins as a Poison Ivy story. He did a Riddler story. He did Green Lantern Legacy, uh, Legends of the Green Flame, which couldn't be published at the time because of a controversial ending to those storylines from uh, Action Comics Weekly. He, in 1990, he wrote the books of magic for that we're going to be talking about later. He did Sweeney Todd. He did some Technophage, which... He didn't write any. He just put his name on, kind of like Leonard Nimoy did, you know, mm-hmm. with Lady Justice, Mr. Hero, the Pneumatic Man, other techno comic stuff. Like, I was super excited for this stuff to come out. And then I was like, wait a minute, they didn't do anything on this, you know? And I was like, okay, this is crap. All right. He's written a lot of books. Oh, wait, actually, he wrote with Terry Pratchett Good Omens, which, if you know Terry Pratchett, he did the Discworld stuff. And for me, I, I can't get into Discworld. I mean, I've tried. Um, it's just a really weird concept for me, you know, riding around in space on a turtle's back, riding. I, I don't know. Um, I tried. I've I've tried so many different Terry Pratchett books. It's, it's just <laughs> not for me. I don't think he helped with. Um, he made nowhere. He uh, neverwhere. It's a it's a book that he wrote, and in uh, I think it was 1996, the BBC made a miniseries around that i like the book i just didn't like the way they interpreted it for the show he uh co-wrote some episodes of babylon 5 he wrote the last five episodes for that he he did stardust the motion picture with uh michelle pfeiffer oh yeah Coraline. uh what else did he do um there's supposedly in 2007 there was going to be a death the high cost of living movie um, that fell through in about 2010 after constantly trying to get it made. He wrote a couple episodes of Doctor Who um, in 2011 with Matthew with uh, Matt Smith. He wrote The Doctor's Wife and another one called Nightmare in Silver from 2013. So he's all over the place. Um, he appeared in the episode of The Simpsons as himself. He... <laughs> wrote American Gods, which is now a TV show yeah. on, on, I think, uh, AMC, I think. AMC, right. He is now producing... Uh, he, okay, so he created a six-part radio play for Nevermore, or, God, Neverwhere, created Neverwhere in 2013, which starred Benedict Cumberbatch, Natalie Dormer, Christopher Lee, and Johnny Vegas. Like, it's... He's like he pulls like so many names to him that it's just incredible. Like so many fans for this guy, right? So let let me just say, so can I just go through a little bit of the awards he's won? Yeah. Okay. So now this is going to be a little bit ridiculous, but this this is just how much the world of comics loves Neil Gaiman, right? Um, from 1991 to 1993, Gaiman won Harvey Awards in the following categories. 91, Best Writer for the Sandman. 92, Best Writer for Sandman. 93, Best Con- Continuing or Limited Series for the Sandman. In ni- from 1991 to 2014, Gaiman won Locus Awards for 1991 Best Fantasy Novel, Good Omens. Best Fantasy Novel, Runner-Up for Stardust. Best Novel, American Gods. 
Best Young Adult for Caroline, Best Novelette for Study in Emerald, which if you ever read Study of Emerald, it's amazing. It's Sherlock Holmes meets Cthulhu. Go out, get it. It's short. You'll love it. He won in 2006 Best Fantasy Novel for Anansi Boys, Best Short Story for Songbird, Sunbird. He won a ton of Eisner Awards, too. Uh, 1991, Best Continuing Series for Sandman. 91, Best Comic Graphic Album, The Doll's House. 91, Best Writer. 92, Best Single Issue, Sandman 22 through 28. So, like, 93, Best Continuing Series. 93, Best Graphic Album. 93, Best Writer. 94, Best Writer. 2000, Best Comic-Related Book. 2004, Best Short Story. 2004, Best Anthology. 2007, Best Archival Collection. 2009, Best Publication for Teens, Coraline. Then, in 1991... He received an Inkpot Awards at the San Diego Comic Con from 2002 to 2000 or 2000 to 2004. He won the Bram Stoker Award for The Sandman, American Gods, Coraline, Sandman, Endless Nights. In 2002 2020, he won the Hugo Awards for 2002, American Gods, Coraline, Study in Emerald, Graveyard Book, The Doctor's Wife, Sandman Overture, Good Omens, Nebula Award winner for American Gods, Coraline, Best uh, 2006 2010. British Fantasy Awards, 2006 Best Novel and Nancy Boys, 2007 Best Fantasy Award Collection, Fragile Things, 2009 Best Fantasy, Best Short Novel, Short List of Graveyard Book. Good God, this doesn't end. Um, <laughs> so he's won a lot of stuff. He's won a lot of stuff. Like, yeah. I've, I, and he's, he's still going. He has he been called like a modern day master of writing fiction. Mm-hmm. Like living human, like being called a master of fiction, and I don't, I don't think his brain will ever stop creating things, no. and that's one fascinating thing about him. Like even sometimes I'll rag about how I didn't like this story of his. I did not like Eternals from Marvel. I thought it was horrible. Um, but when you realize what he he did it for, he he did Eternals and he did sixteen oh two to get the rights to Miracle Man. And that, you know, getting doing something to get it out there for the mask to buy so yep. he could go out and get the thing that he loves a lot back into his hands, away from Todd, because Todd wasn't going to ever do anything with that. And I, I have a lot of respect for him. I remember going to the Mall of America uh, probably when I was 18, and that's when one of his short story collections came out and I searched everywhere for it down here. I couldn't find it at all. And I didn't know he was living up there at the time. And the, the comic shop in the mall of America had it. That's when there was a comic book shop in the mall of America. And mm-hmm. it was, what was funny. It was techno comics. It was that, that company had their own store. So I was like, Oh my God. And <laughs> one of the guys at this, the, at the store was like, yeah, you can pretty much buy everything you can think of here. I don't think you could think of something that you could not buy at the mall. And I said, I can't buy a piano at the mall. <laughs> and it's true. You couldn't buy a piano at the mall. So, um, so that is Neil Gaiman in a nutshell. I hope I didn't murder it too bad because I, there was just no way I was going to go through all well, he's just got so many accolades. There's just no way you'd be able to catch everything. No, and he's actually working on a 
a radio program, uh, audio drama of the Sandman. So I think that would be really interesting. It'll be pretty cool. Like fully dramatized radio play. So you know how I am for those. Oh yeah. So I'm kind of excited for those. Yeah. I think it'd be very interesting to hear it. You know, what's going to probably be really good. So yeah. All right. Well, I got John Bolton. He was the illustrator for books of magic. uh, One. And he was born in May of 1951 in London, England. He was first introduced to comics after he graduated from East Ham Technical College with a degree in graphics and designs. Um, In 1981, Marvel editor Ralph Macchio noticed his work and had him start working on Call of Vasula for Epic Comics. After illustrating two stories, he began working with the historical fantasy characters uh, written by Chris Claremont. After another fantasy series, Black Dragon, the duo produced some short stories in the X-Men classics. During this time, Bolton also was doing covers for Eclipse and Pacific Publishers. In 89, Bolton moved to horror comics, or horror genre, which is his favorite genre. Uh, his main work on, or during that time was actually with Clive Barker, including the Hellraiser comics. And in 1990, he worked with, uh, started work on Books of Magic. The physical appearance of Timothy Hunter, the main character, is that of his oldest son. And in other books he worked on, he did portray his wife and his other sons as well. Uh, he later went on to do art for Man, the Man Bat series, Batman Joker Switch, and a book called The Users. And at one point, Neil Gaiman actually directed a short film, and it's called A Short Film About John Bolton, where the painter, where a painter is interviewed by a reporter seeking to, uh, the answer to where his ideas come from. And Bolton actually played a guest interviewed at the gallery show. So he did not play himself. He just played a guest. He did get one Inkpot Award back in 1988. And as far as other information that I can find, he's still working on some stuff here and there. But there's not a lot of information out there about him uh, at this time or a real good uh, bibliography of what he everything he's touched. Um, some of the things he did was a fa- um, Father Shandor, The Spiral Path. Um, he did some Army of Darkness uh, stuff for Dark Horse. God Save the Queen. Some Evil Dead. Obviously Magic of the Gathering. I did go to his website, and he has a lot of art up of aliens, like the movie Aliens, that he did artwork on. That looks just absolutely gorgeous. But uh, yeah, that's about all I have for John Bolton at this time. I mean, and even his biography on his own webpage was very limited. So I kind of get the impression he's a very private individual and doesn't have a lot out there. Yeah. Yeah, so when I gave you Gammon, I was expecting to have a little bit more on John Bolton. Uh, (laughs) 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 Wasn't trying to make you have to lift the heavy load there. No, it's cool, man. I I got to learn a lot more. So yeah, it's cool. Good deal. All right. 
Well, that would take us. Did you? Well, do we want to go ahead and start getting into the books a little bit, or did you have anything else you want to add here? No, let's just get into it. Okay. Oh, um, yeah. So we are actually going to, um, as we go through this, we are going to keep a, a running tab of characters who appear in what issues, um, how long it's been since they've appeared, if they ever appear again, you know, and how many references have been stolen to create Harry Potter. Um, yeah, I, did, I, think a, I think a lot of people think that Harry Potter came before Books of Magic, and that's not the case at all. No. Um, what's funny, so I was talking to, when I met Peter Gross at one of the cons, he was talking about, I asked him, I was like straight up, um, so why has DC not sued Warner Brothers for copyright infringement for books of magic being stolen to make Harry Potter? And Peter Gross said, we're both owned by Warner Brothers. So we couldn't sue ourselves, and Harry Potter makes how many million cells on the first day, how, on the first week the thing's out. We don't make a fraction of that. We may we sell six like the sixty thousand comics every month. There's no way we're going to win this fight. So, so I think it's just like a running jab for um, books of magic fans to nitpick every little piece of stuff that was stolen to make Harry Potter. <laughs> and we'll, we'll go through that as we go through and we'll describe what Tim looks like, uh, his friends, uh, his animal companion, stuff that he does, stuff that his parents are like, stuff that his home life is like, and we'll describe how that is just like what they stole for Harry Potter. So, all right, let's get into issue one of the miniseries. I will say one thing. I was not a fan of the main series. Really? I re did you reread it? I read. I did not reread it. I, I don't know if I can. I, <laughs> I read the the other. I, I read the the comics first. Mm -hmm. and then I went back to read that, and I the the world that the comic books created was so much richer than they could fit in the four issues that introduced him. Um, so with that, I'm going to turn it over to you. Well, I, I was the same way. I actually started with the comics first and then just actually got this uh, a couple of years ago, but I actually thought this added so much more to it for me. So with books of magic volume one or issue one, this is the invisible labyrinth. It's a prestige format. So it's a little bit thicker. Beautifully done. This is with Gammon and Bolton doing this issue. And it's the beginning of, as far as I know, the beginning of the trench coat brigade. So you have Constantine. You got Mr. E. You've got the Phantom Stranger um, and Dr. Occult. And during this, they're all talking and you're seeing uh, this kid riding around on a skateboard. Um, just cruising the streets, having no idea what's going on. And these four very powerful individuals are discussing what they're going to do with this kid, Timothy Hunter. Okay, so now we're going to talk about a little bit of Harry Potter here. So when Harry Potter in the first movie, um, in the book, the two magicians are sitting outside of his house discussing what the future of Harry Potter is going to be. 
All right, let's continue. <laughs> so Timothy's skating boarding. He runs into these uh, four individual or Mr. He runs into Mr. E and scares the snot out of him. He's like, nope, stranger danger. I'm out of here. Takes off. And then Dr. Occult catches him. Nope. He takes off again. And he even says, nobody's catching me. Not the cops, not weird or pervs, not weirdos, no teachers. Nobody's going to catch me. And at that point, Constantine grabs him in front of a magic shop. And they proceed to have this conversation with him, Timothy, about how he can go out and get become one of the greatest magicians of all time. And they would each teach him something to show him how it would impact him. So the way it kind of breaks down is like the first book is what happens in the past. So they go back in time. The second book is current time. The third book goes into the world of the fairy. And then the fourth book is the future. And each one of these people kind of like a Christmas Carol are designated to show these different routes. And so Timothy's playing with a yo-yo and Dr. Occult grabs it and poof, changes them into changes it into an owl named Yo-Yo. And it's all white, right? It's all, it's white, all white owl. All white owl. Hmm. Wonder where that's similar came from. to <clears throat> Hedwig's something. angry. Yeah. 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 So the Phantom Stranger, and before I go much further, I do want to point out that they also give him some rules. They basically said there's power in knowing someone's name. So be very careful about providing your name. And so when he's asking who these individuals are, they're providing what they answer to, but not their real names. And the reason I point that out is there's going to be a point coming up here that's very important. The Phantom Stranger does take him into the past, to the very beginning of time where everything is just starting to take shape and form and kind of going over how this is where magic began and this is how it continues. And Timothy sees the angels falling from the sky. So Lucifer falling to hell and these, um, let's see, the archangels. So he sees Uriel. Raphael, Michelangelo, uh, Sequarla, and Gabriel. And Timothy comments about how massive and big they are. And again, that kind of plays a point coming up. And then he sees the earth being born and moving forward. Then he starts traveling through time and he meets the shaman. And the shaman, the fam stranger, tells the shaman, Hey, he were trying to teach Timothy about magic. What do you feel about magic? And there's always a, the shaman's like, there's always a price for magic. Whatever you do with it, there's always a price. You're going to have to pay for it. Uh, Stay away from it. And they keep jumping forward and he sees Egyptian times and times from Asian culture and sees like the magic from, the Greeks, things like that. And they jump all the way forward to King Arthur's time. And they're in this room 
And this guy starts talking, or this kid starts talking to him. He's no older than Tim, and Tim's 12 at the time, I believe. And he ends up finding out he's talking to Merlin at a very young age. And Merlin already knows how his life's going to go and how he doesn't really have a choice in the matter. He's got to follow what his life is telling him to do with King Arthur and how he's going to die. And Timothy's like, well, you can change that, right? He's like, no, this is my destination. This is what I have to do. I know what's happening. This is what's going to happen. And just keeps moving forward. He sees the Dr. Fate, the original Dr. Fate. He sees uh, Zantana's dad. Uh, what is his name? Zatara. Zatara, thank you. I knew it began with Z. I just yeah. And he talks about what Zatara went through. And then he starts talking to, either in a theater where they're talking to Zatara, or scenes are Zatara. And all of a sudden, Timothy looks over, and uh, Sargon the Sorcerer is sitting next to him. And he gives him some advice about magic. And they just keep going forward further and further. And they end up back out in the street. And Fam Stranger's like, well, that was my that was my turn. Now the next turn is with John Constantine to meet the presence of magic. And that takes you into book two. You want me to just keep on rolling? Uh, yeah. Um, it's cool that uh, Neil does this. Um, he, he has a way of going into DC's past and bringing out characters that we haven't seen in a long time. It's kind of like Grant Morrison does, but Neil actually brings them in as important characters. Like mm -hmm. uh, Sargon hasn't been seen in a long time. Um, Phantom Stranger probably has appeared every once in a while, but not consistently. Consistently. Right. Like, yeah. Um, not, since this book, I think he's become a lot more famous. Yes. Um, he's, he's appeared a lot more stuff. Um, he did have his own series for a little while, but you know, it, it wasn't really about him. It was about those beatnik kids that he was hanging around with. Right. So, um, John Constantine is the only one that's really walked out of this besides Tim Hunter as primary characters that you can find on a regular basis. Um, I know when I first read this, I'm like, Mr. E, who the heck is that? It sounds like a <laughs> villain for the Scooby-Doo show, um, you know, or... Um, it's an old Eclipse comic. Yeah. I right, something, no something clue. from the, Yeah. I heard about Dr. Occult, didn't know who he was, you know, uh, or Sargon, for that matter. So some of these characters that they bring up, you're, I'm sitting there going... I know I've heard of them, or wh who's this? But well, you're right. He does go back into the depths of DC. Now, what he does that Morrison doesn't do, Morrison expects you to already know this stuff. Right. He know he where, expects you to know who that character is. Where even Neil like does RG not panel. do that. Right. 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 And I appreciate that a lot more. And it's cool. Like, when you think about Dr. Fate, like, Zabu, the helmet... Of Naboo, uh, the helmet of Naboo, um, mm -hmm. is so pivotal in DC that it should be kind of a bigger thing for them. You know, yeah. it's, it's he's kind of like he should be where Doctor Strange is in uh, people's consciousness, but he's not, and it it kind of drives me nuts because he's the 
magician for DC. Like he is the master and mm -hmm. he should have a little bit more respect than him running around in a hoodie right now <laughs> and blue jeans. Right. It doesn't make any sense. And I think yeah. that's the, the, the thing about Neil is like he loves these characters and he, he wants you to love them too. And what, what, what's some, what they've done with some of them is kind of like, what are you thinking? What are you thinking? Yeah, with a lot of these characters that we talk about going forward, I would almost rather see the majority of them staying in that Vertigo universe mm -hmm. um, being used and utilized the way they should be, opposed to throw away right. Dr. Fate. Or, you know, like you said with the Phantom Stranger, yeah, he had his own series, but it wasn't even really about him. You didn't get to learn about the Phantom Stranger a lot. Well, it's the same thing with Tim going into JLA Dark. Yeah. Uh, throwaway character, throwaway storyline, you know. Yeah. And that's that's sad. It is. Um, on to book two, The Shadow World. Now, the, um, this one is done by Gammon and Scott Hampton. So at this point, Tim's on a plane with John Constantine. He's like, how in the heck did we just get here? And John's like, eh, I just got on the plane. You've been sleeping the whole time. And John gets up to go use the Louvre. And this guy next to Tim starts talking to him. And he introduces himself as Boston Brand. <laughs> yeah. Um, but every time Constantine shows back up, Brand takes off. So Boston Brand is a, was a um, acrobat. And, or a daredevil type character who died and he did not get to move on. He became a ghost. And for, so for him to be able to communicate with the living, he's got to jump into these individuals' bodies. He can jump into anybody's body and then he'll talk through them because Boston shows up a lot in this. Yeah. He, he got shot on a, on a high wire on a trapeze yeah. art and he, went into the astral plane and he met um, a deity. I can't remember her name. Um, I should because the big book's behind me, but she offered him a chance to hunt down his killer and with the powers to possess people. So yeah. that's, um, he's still wearing his trapeze uniform, but his, yep. In ghost form, he is yes. He's because uh, uh, he was a de he he played a character called Dead Man in the in the circus, and mm -hmm. he's wearing that red jumpsuit with the low cut all the way to his naval jumpsuit with giant collar and a skull face, and yep. that's how he's going to go through eternity with. I can't remember. Does he? He doesn't look like that right there. He's just straight up Boston Brand, right? Yeah, he's just Boston Brand. You don't yeah. see him as the ghost entity at all. So the plane lands, and Tim finds out they're going to the United States. He's like, I don't have a passport. I have nothing. How am I going to get through the gates? Who's going to talk to my dad? Because he doesn't think I'm gone. I don't know what's going on there. And all of a sudden, they're on the other side of the gates. And he's like, how did we just get past immigration and customs and all that? And Constantine just goes, now you're going to get the New York experience. They're getting in a cab. 
Um, <laughs> no, no answers. No, nothing. No, just no, very vague. Yep. Um, and they go see Madame Xanadu or Madame X. And the first thing he goes in there, they go in there, and Madame X just rips into Constantine because apparently the last time Constantine was around, he had stolen something from Madame X and was still not happy about it. So John finally talks her down and she said, okay, I'll read for Tim real quick and pulls four cards and it's the hermit. So, um, there's the wheel of fortune. There's the empress and justice. And she's okay with all the first three, but the fourth one, she's like, you really got to watch for justice and see what happens with that. Be very careful about what you choose to do. And then he's like, she's like, okay, well, it's nice seeing you basically get out of here. And Constantine goes, well, is, um, he asked if somebody was upstairs and she goes, or is Corrigan upstairs? And, (laughs) and Madame X goes, well, both of them are in the same place at the same time. So maybe, I don't know. And Tim's like, so is this guy gay or what? Because it's, you know, She's talking about him and his other, his partner and constantly like, Oh no, no, that not at all. Um, and when they go upstairs, it is a private detective office and they start talking to Jim Corrigan and Jim's like, Oh yeah, I'm, I'm dead. And, or, you know, I've been, was dead. And Tim goes, I haven't met any dead people before. Now I've met two of them on the same day, Boston Brand and now Jim Corrigan. And they're, Constantine's asking him, okay, what, how do you feel about magic? What, what do you think? Um, give some advice to Tim. And all of a sudden, the specter just jumps up and goes flying across the street. Well, Tim was about to get shot by the cold flame. And the specter sensed it and went over and turned the guy that was about to shoot him into stone. And again, he says, you know, there's a price for paint using magic. Dr. Fate shows up as they're walking out. And um, he goes, hey, the rest of the trench coat brigade needs you to come fight this battle. You need to come now. Get Find a pl- safe place for Tim and come now. And so Constantine's like, sure, whatever. Get on another flight. Boston Brand, again, takes over another body and is trying to communicate something to him. But he never fully ever gets to the point of what he's trying to talk to him about. In the meantime, the other three, Mr. E, Dr. Call, Phantom Stranger, are going to go attack the Cold Flame. Um, They're working out a plan. And Mr. E the whole time is like, Tim Hunter's not worth it. Just forget it. We should just kill him now. He's never going to be the magician everybody thinks he's going to be. And everybody else is standing up for Tim. Give him a chance to figure it out. And they flash back. John and Tim are walking down the street. And Tim's almost stabbed when a homeless guy hollers, hey, watch out. And Yo-Yo helps save him. It was Boston, once again, stepping in to help Tim. Tim then ends up meeting Jason Blood. and all these guys are keeping on telling him the same thing. There's always a price for magic. Be very careful about using magic. Yeah. I mean, you should probably listen to 
Corrigan and Blood about the yeah. price they pay for magic because they're living it still. It, um, but one a lot longer than the other, though. And Constantine's not doing a great job of kind of. He's just like hey, <laughs> Constantine is, never does. Yeah, he's just like this is Corrigan, <laughs> this is Jason Blood. He's not giving them any insight whatsoever to who these people are. And then um, they hop in a the car. They're going to go to San Francisco. And somebody runs him off the road. And once again, Constantine kind of warps him out of danger. And they get picked up by, and I did not know this guy existed, Dr. Terry 13, the ghost hunter. Nope. Dr. 13? Yep. Yeah. Um, very, 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 very deep dive for DC. Yeah. And he basically said, I've never seen anything that I can't debunk um, to Tim. And then he was, I think he was in uh, the Phantom Stranger comics. I think was he, he was the guy that was always trying to debunk what the stranger was doing. Like he was right. always just like, you're a fake. Yeah, I can prove everything that you've always done is a fake. And I, So he was kind of like the Houdini for right. the Phantom Stranger. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Um, they do end up at Zantana's place. Um, Constantine has said, hey, can you watch Tim for me? I've got to go take care of this. Santana's like, sure. She feeds him, gets him. She's like, here, take a shower. Um, gets clothes for him. He's like, how did you know my size? Oh, it's magic. Easy. Um, she's like, do you need calling base? So he calls his dad. And he's like, yeah, dad, I'm in San Francisco. She, he's like, so you're in Brighton. He's like, no, I'm in San Francisco. How's your aunt doing? So they magic the dad into making him think that uh, Tim is in Brighton. Zantana, however, makes a mistake. It's Halloween. They go to a Halloween club where she is super famous. and But the problem is they're surrounded by all these magic evildoers. And at one point, the host... Uh, Tarnak gets up and basically says, so there's a bounty on Tim Hunter's head. Whoever kills it, kills him, can have the bounty. And so the whole room starts going after him. And Zantana's yelling, no, he's under my protection. They're like, yeah, we don't care. So they start going after him. And all of a sudden, Constantine shows up. (laughs) I, I, I think this is my favorite book out of the series because of Constantine. And he goes, nobody touches the boy. He's like, the boy's mine, and if anybody touches him, you're done. Everybody knows what I can do. Leave him alone. Um, Zantana and the boy are leaving with me. And Tim does question him about that. He's like, yeah, it was a bluff. (laughs) (laughs) I just have a reputation, and everybody knows what the reputation is, so I just run with it. Yeah, and then they head back to uh, the others, and his next trip is into Fairyland. So that was volume or issue two of that book. Um, again, that's probably one of my favorites out of, out of this series. I think it was mine too because it had the uh, most connection to the DC universe. Yeah, and a lot of the characters. Current. Yeah, mm-hmm. and the characters they brought in. Yeah, it's just he, the way that Constantine is played in it and everything. And obviously, I think a lot of it is I've heard of Constantine. I've read more Constantine than I have anybody else from this group. So I think I could relate to it a little bit more knowing the kind of character he is. Right. 
Um, so Fairyland, or let's see, The Land of Summer's Twilight is the trip into Fairyland. This is book three. This is Gammon and Charles Vess as the illustrator. And this had a very, if you've ever read Fables, a very Fables-like tone, yeah. color to it. Absolutely beautiful. Um, and he's going with Dr. Occult this time. And again, Dr. Occult reminds him, names are powerful. You're just going to call me Dr. Occult. I'm not giving you my name. There's several rules. Don't leave the path. Don't accept any gifts. Basically, don't be talk. Don't talk to anybody unless they talk to you first. That sort of thing. So Dr. Occult goes over to this gate, opens it up, and... Tim comes running up, and the second they cross over, Dr. Occult turns into a female named Rose. And Tim named her Rose. And they go to the market. And they're in the market in Fairyland, and a goblin tries to put something in Tim's pocket to call him out for stealing. And Yo-Yo notices it and stops him. And so the the guy that runs the market, they call him Glory, is um, there. They call him over, and he goes, okay, you just try to set this guy up so you can imprison him. I'm not going to allow you to do that. We're going to go to your house, and they can each pick something out. So Rose gets to pick something. Tim picks something. Yo-Yo picks something. And Rose picks a mirror. Yo-Yo picks a necklace, and Tim gets a mundane egg. And they continue on their path. And Tim comments about how hungry he is. And Rose is like, yeah, you're not eating anything here. That's just for your own safety. They keep on marching through. There is a riddle uh, that they have to follow. It reminds me very much of uh, Labyrinth when they have to do the riddle for the door. When there is fire in me, then I am still cold. Uh, when I own your true love's face then you will not see me. Let me try that again. So <clears throat> the riddle is when there is a fire in me, then I am still cold. When I own your true love's face, then you will not see me, my, er, me to all things. I give no more than I am given in time. I may have all things and yet I keep, I can keep nothing. Well, the answer to the riddle is the answer is a mirror because this all the mirror is, is a reflection. And they end up you know, be able to pass through. And they keep on marching through Fairyland. And he accidentally gets separated from Dr. Occult. In the meantime, Dr. Occult and Rose keep on switching bodies. And he sees Dr. Occult over by a house. And he starts running over to him. Well, he went off the path. And he ends up with Baba Yaga's mm -hmm. um, house. And she strings him up. And is taking them, and Tim convinces Yo-Yo to fly out of the house and basically tie the legs up on the... So the house has chicken legs, and ties the legs up like uh, Luke did with the Adats in Empire. And the house comes crashing down. And she goes chasing after him, and Rose shows up and says, You're going to leave him alone. I know what your real name is. And Baba Yaga goes, no, you don't. He, she's like, do you really want me to find out or see if I do? I can yell it from here to eternity, and you'll have no power over anybody. 
And she's like, yeah, fine. He's good to go. And Tim asked him, he's like, was that a bluff? And she, she goes, no, actually, I, when I was studying, is one of the things I got to learn. And so, again, names held power here. And then they run into the Queen of Fairyland, and she invites him back to the castle. And the Queen goes, you, you want to know about magic? You should check out these doors. And throws the key at Tim, and Tim catches it. And Dr. Occult's like, oh no, that's not good. And Tim still doesn't quite get why. And they go open the doors, and one door leads to the land of where the warlord is. Um, one leads to where um, Claw, the Unconquered, is, and um, Nightmaster. One goes to Gym World. One Your favorite. goes. What's Your favorite, that? Gym World. Gym World. Yeah, good. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> I skipped over that as quickly as possible. And then one of them kind of takes them to a hell like place. And then, then they end up in the dreaming where he meets, well, at the time he's going by the dream. And he says, tell the queen hi. So they go back to Fairyland and. He's like, yeah, I just saw the dream. He said to say hi. And they're like, well, we need to get going now. And she goes, that's not how that works. Tim took a present from me, so now he is mine, unless you can offer something better in exchange. And Tim goes, well, I've got this mundane egg. You can have this. Well, come to find out the mundane egg is when it hatches, it creates a new universe. So he basically gave a new universe to the fairy queen and they end up heading back for Mr. E to do the final trip with Tim. So you want, you want to talk about deep dive for DC with Dr. Occult. Um, he's kind of considered one of the earliest superheroes. He might even be like the first occult hero um, created in 1935 by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, uh, same guys who created Superman. Um, wow. Uh, first appearance of New Fun number six. So he predates caped superheroes. Wow. So That I did not know. Deep, deep dive for, <laughs> for that character. All right. Uh, book four is, again, Gammon, and this is by Paul Johnson. It is The Road to Nowhere. And this is probably the one that bored me the most, which it probably shouldn't have um, because it's wrapping up the story. But um, Mystery grabs Tim and they are going to go forward into the future. And there's, and Mystery does say, I'm going to show you one of many different paths that you could take. And as they go forward, Tim sees Antana getting beat up and Etrigen being destroyed and this just massive battle going. The Spectre's getting taken out. Just all the good guys are losing. And there's a guy standing on a stair, some stairs just battling all these people. And Constantine is there, an older version of Constantine. He's like, um, Tim goes over and goes, John, are you okay? And Constantine's like, get the hell away from me. Uh, you're, you're killing us. And he's like, no, that's not me. 
and they look up and it is a adult version of Tim Hunter doing this battle with all these good guys. And Constantine's like, you have to be careful with what you choose to do. Um, and if you accept this magic and so then they start moving forward, um, just kind of time traveling through the future. Mr. E talks a lot, but he's not saying anything that's of real importance. Um, in the meantime, the trench coat brigade's like, Hey, you know, they've been gone for a little bit. Should we be worried? Well, we'll give them a little bit more time. No worries. And they keep marching forward till they get to a point where most of the earth has been destroyed. And it's, he's just kind of touching on things as they go. And they run into Dr. Fate's helmet and it's begging Tim to put it on or put it on because you know, it has been corrupted and Tim's fighting that off. And, and it's just, as they keep going forward, it's just for more and more away from the standard universe of, and things that come they meet some green men and they said, Oh yeah, somebody else has gone through here. Um, not recently, but they knew how to speak English. Um, so they could communicate and they're like, yeah, that's because somebody else came through here. And Mr. E's like, Oh really? Oh, that's interesting. And they keep moving forward. And at about that time, the fam stranger starts kind of freaking out a little bit and goes, yeah, something's not right here. Mystery was trying to want to kill Tim and they're still not back yet. It shouldn't be taking this long. So they grant yo-yo the power to go into the future to find Tim and help bring him back. And so the yo-yo is taking off and they finally get to a point where mystery is, by the way, Mr. E is blind. Um, and you find out that his dad, uh, cut out his eyes because when he was a kid, he was looking at uh, pornography and he didn't want to be influenced by that stuff. And so he has no ill will towards his dad because he did that to him. And so he relies on Tim to kind of explain what things look like. And, um, he finally gets to a point where Mr. E attacks, uh, Tim and Um, tries to kill him. Right. So, the the porno that Eric was looking at when he was a kid is perverted pictures of his mom and sister. So his dad was a child molester or he, he was some kind of a sexual deviant. And for that, he cut his eyes out. And they didn't go into that in here. So that's no. interesting. He, he, he kind of blocked out what his dad did to him. And that's why he doesn't uh, blame him for it. But ah. Eric is highly emotionally unstable and psychotic. So they yeah. really don't go into that in this, but he is a complete psycho. And you kind of get a hint of that a little bit here because he, he's like, Tim, if you take on this magic, you're going to just not use it the appropriate way and tries to kill Tim. And about that time, Yo-Yo shows up and helps save him. And then... Somebody shows up, and he goes, Remarkable, neither of you are in my book. Why are you at the end of time? And uh, Because they are at the very far end of time. There are millions and millions of years in the future, and nobody had ever gone that far. And death shows up as well. 
and she convinces her the gentleman that does show up here um, to you know go away. I'll take it from here, and she goes. The only way back is by walking, and you have to walk all those millions of years back to your current time. And so she sends Mystery e off to do it that route. And she grabs Tim and pulls him out automatically. So Tim ends up back in the street with Constantine, Dr. Carlton, fam stranger. And Tim goes, you know what? I don't want magic. You guys can keep it. Forget it. I have no desire to do this. And they're like, okay. And they all take off. And he starts walking home. And all of a sudden it just hits him. He's like, you know what? No, I don't mean that. I, I do want the magic. I, I want that power. Please give it back to me. And the three are still talking around a table. And John's like, why did we do all that if he wasn't going to take the magic? And the Phantom Stranger goes, but he did. When we asked him to take this tour of all this magic stuff to see what's happening, you know, the history of magic and where it's going and fairyland and everything. The second he said yes to that, he accepted the magic. So he has the magic. He just doesn't know it yet. And John's like, oh, cool. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And Tim gets home and his dad's still like, oh, did you have a good day? You've only been gone for about six hours, you know, whatever. And he's got the yo-yo in his hand. And he goes to the window and he goes, I I want to believe in magic. I need to believe in magic. And the yo-yo turns back into the the owl yo-yo. And that leads into volume two, which we're going to be doing the deep dive into. Did they ever go into his dad and why he's just a lazy bastard in this? His No. In this, not they in this did not, not in this at all. Uh, it was very much the only appearances his dad really made were uh, when he thought he was in Brighton and when he came home. Nice. Not a whole lot of story at all for his dad in this. It was more of a development of Tim and showing the history of the magic. The only thing that could have made this possibly better is an appearance by Detective Chimp. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that might have been pushing it. because <laughs> you're, you're seeing all this magic and then this talking monkey comes well, out of nowhere. You saw everything accent. else. So. <laughs> right. He's got a little English accent and a, a smoking jacket on. <laughs> really weird. It'd be awesome. It would be <laughs> awesome. So yeah, that was the intro. Thoughts, comments? I know you said you didn't really care for this, so you didn't um, really go back to it. But all right. So let me just tell you where 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 my brain was when I was reading that um, in two thousand. I think it was. I was super into superhero stuff. Super into it. And this was a huge departure. And, you know, I I had friends that were into small press comics and it just kind of felt like that to me. Like it was just like, okay, where, where's the payoff for this? Um, He comes home and he's got magic and there's nothing else, you know, like if, if it was just the four, you know, Mm -hmm. I I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know if, I would have loved that character just from that. Um, right. But reading that, I was like, there's just such a grand 72, 74 issues of the series. 
that explains so much more that could have been put in this. Right. And this just seemed very light. Like here's a tour of the magic of DC. But, but for me reading Dr. Fate, um, dead man, Constantine swamp thing, you know, um, I already knew a lot of this. Right. So I knew, I knew a lot of the characters and I was just like, who's, you know, if if I didn't read the other ones, I'd be like, who is this kid, and what does he matter? Right, right. And I think if people start out with the first four, I think that might be where they drop off. I, I can see that because I, I mean, you and I both have the same perspective of starting off with that second series and then coming back and reading this and. For you, it didn't matter so much. For me, I thought it was pretty impactful. It really helped me understand Tim a little bit more going forward. But right, but in, I in hadn't this, been exposed to all the magic stuff that you had. But in in this, like Tim seemed like a hollow character. Like there wasn't much to him. Um, you don't get his background. You you barely get a personality. I mean, he's not who he is uh, in volume two. I have stuff to add to that, but I think I'll wait until we get into volume two and start hitting some of that stuff. Yeah. And refer back to it. Cause you know, he's, he's a lonely kid. His dad is kind of like aloof to him. Yes. And he pretty much runs the streets by himself. Yep. And getting, getting the opportunity to do this. I think if any kid was in that, in his shoes, they would have said yes to it anyway. Right. 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 But the the thing is, Tim's special in in so many different ways that he's not just a little kid from Brighton, right? Is that where he's he's from Brighton, right? Uh, no, London? that's where he went to visit. I think he's in London. He's in London, suburb right. of London. Yeah. So there, there's there's so much more to him than we get here. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I do agree that uh, Constantine was probably the best mentor for him right of the uh zatanna takes constantine to save them i'm not sure i don't i think he got the most out of the relationship with santana though because she's she was she grew up with it yeah she she knows what the price is and um i think that relationship really helped tim kind of figure out what he wanted to do yeah and Constantine was just more of a tour guide saying, this is this, read the plaque, you know? Um, like he just didn't care. He was just like, yeah. Hey, so this is, this is this. I, I actually have some crap I need to get done. And uh, this is just like doing an Uber for me right now. But that's the thing. It's like, he doesn't care. But after you read all those, you realize he's the one that actually cared the most. Right. So, right. Yeah. I am looking forward to getting into the series too. And just, going because there's so much good stuff there i reread issue one again and i gotta tell you it it's unlike a lot of the comics from that day right like there's just so it's just so different the the writing the the artwork the where it's all going there was just something special about this book at that time yeah and i think more people Hopefully, we'll listen to this and get into it and realize that there's more to Vertigo than just Sandman stories. Yeah. There's, there's a huge 
um, world um, with Books of Magic and Lucifer and other stuff that came out after this, like unwritten and stuff like that. Yeah. And it all kind of comes from this. Like Lucifer, if it wasn't for Books of Magic, I don't think Lucifer would have had the impact that it did in the 2000s. You're exactly right. Because Peter Gross and Mike Carey pretty much cut their teeth doing Books of Magic, which allowed them to move on to other stuff. And it's because of their work on this that they they, they got the, uh, the writing chops and the art chops to do other stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's nice to see where somebody started from. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I've seen Peter Gross. Uh, I took him a book called Chainsaw that he did independently. And he was like, where the hell did you get that? And I was like, I don't know, but it's horrible. (laughs) It's so bad. Like I I found it for a quarter and uh, it's never going to come out of its sleeve. (laughs) Seeing like somebody start from their career and going through and just getting the faith of the company. Like this is when DC actually had faith in their writers and uh, artists that they, they were like, okay, um, this is your book. You do what you want. Mm-hmm. So, like some like Peter Gross would write a uh, like four issue part, and Mike Carey would draw it, and then Peter Gross would draw the next four, and Mike Carey would write it, and then they would just switch off, which is not something you see all the time. No, especially anymore. I mean, no. it's, it's sad when uh, like books like the Starman. You'll mm-hmm. never have another run like that. No, you'll never, never have seventy five issues of a book like that or Sandman mystery theater. You'll never get Matt Wagner and Guy Davis to do a whole run. You'll, you'll never get that opportunity again. Unfortunately, to tell the the whole story that you wanted to do. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because if, if we did another, um, deep dive after this, I don't know if we are, because this is going to be a lot of work. Sandman (laughs) mystery theater would be amazing. And we could just chronicle the, uh, how Wesley Dodds goes from idealistic uh, playboy man about town to complete psycho at the end of it. And you, you just watch how Morpheus messes with him until he solves the crimes. And if he doesn't solve the crimes, he goes a little bit more insane. So he's just constantly starting to go more crazy at the end. Right. And it's amazing at the end of it. But this we're going to do. I, I can't wait to just dive into. Absolutely. Tim Hunter. This is going to be fantastic. Again, you can just pick up from version two and start going. I think Nick and I would probably recommend it. That's probably the best way to do it. And then go back to read this because it gives you a little bit more impact. Uh, because I absolutely agree. If I think if I started with this, I've not touched any other Tim Hunter books. You You don't even need to know what happened in the first four because it rarely touches on that. No. Um, uh, it brings up the relationship, his relationship with Constantine a little bit and uh, refers back to Zantana and you kind of see where that relationship developed at. But uh, yeah, I agree. There's really not a lot that no. they go back to. So I would, I would start at volume two, number one. Yeah, um, absolutely. I'm not saying don't give Neil Gaiman your money, but he's, he's already got enough of it. So <laughs> I mean, 
does does he need yes yeah he probably does so yeah go out uh don't buy it at half price books do it from a comic book retailer don't give half price books your money sorry half price books i love you but uh <laughs> comic book companies or comic book shops are hurting right now so yeah. don't buy it off amazon um if you want which i did and i had the greatest time i went all around minneapolis to all the comic shops for it took me about four years to get every issue of this and the hunt is probably one of the 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 reasons why i love this so much just trying to find it um i worked at a comic book shop in minnesota and there was 13 stores in our chain so i i had let's just say i had access to comics that were ridiculous yes because 13 stores you'll never have that again no not anymore (laughs) I, go out, find it issue by issue. Don't 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 buy it off Amazon. Don't don't yeah. buy it from half price books. Go go to a comic shop, and slowly build your collection of it. And I think you'll appreciate it more than just buying the trade. From I half would price agree. Books. Yeah, the hunt is the fun, and you got a lot of stuff to hunt, and they're not easy to find. There's a few that are pretty challenging, yeah. Because I really want to get another issue of number one. For this, because mine is this special silver foil edition, mm-hmm. and it is ruined. Unfortunately, that's the only issue number one that I've seen since then. So, all right, man, that was fun. Yeah, I enjoyed it. So now we'll get into next, the good stuff next week. Which which guy do you want? Oh crap! I don't even look who was who. Just tell me. I don't care. See, the problem is, like, these guys don't stay around. No. Okay, so there's three. Okay. Uh, John Nay Ryber, who is the writer, Gary Amaro, who's the penciler, and Peter Gross, who does the inks. I think we should just do writer and pencils, right? Yeah, I think so. Okay. I'll take the writer this time. Okay. Gary Amaro for me. We'll uh, catch you later. All right, so next week we are doing What's the Magic Volume 2, number one. See you next week. Bye. Yes, see you next week.